This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.07 a.m. on Tuesday, the 12th of December. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Keith Kam and Anwar Mahbob. We're going to kickstart this morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. For U.S. markets, yesterday the Dow closed up 0.4%, the S&P 500 closed up 0.4%, and the Nasdaq closed up 0.2%. On the Asian front, Nikkei closed up 1.5%, Hang Seng was down 0.8%, the Shanghai Composite was up 0.7%, STI was down 0.7%, and our very own FBM KLCI was up 0.3%. For some thoughts on what's moving markets, we have on the line with us Joe Quinlan, Chief Market Strategist at the U.S. Trust Bank of America Private Wealth Management. Joe, good morning. Now, of course, all eyes are on the U.S. Federal Reserve because this week's FOMC meeting is the last for the year. Is it a foregone conclusion that the Fed will keep overnight rates on hold between 525 to 5.5% or might the Fed spring a surprise on the financial markets? I think the Fed is going to be happy just leaving things as they are, kind of declare victory and say, you know, Merry Christmas and leave everything <laughs> as is. So but there, there'll be a lot of watching and, you know, what, what's the guidance? What are they thinking about inflation? So <clears throat> they're a little hawkish or last time around, but I think this time they'll just try to hit the ball, you know, just squarely down the fairway, you know, nothing dramatic. So I think it's going to be a non-event. U.S. jobs growth accelerated in November, while the unemployment rate unexpectedly fell to 3.7%. Aren't these signs of underlying labour market strength suggesting that expectations of an interest rate cut next year are premature? Could be premature or just maybe not in March. I mean, there, it's been we pulled forward the interest rate cuts. And I think you're right. The labour market is still pretty tight. Wages are about 4%, but it's moving in the right direction. But I think the markets are a little hyperventilating here a little bit about the expectation of rate cuts anytime soon. I'm looking more for in the summer as opposed to the spring. But nevertheless, you know, that it's in play, but it's too early to think about interest rate cuts, albeit we're moving in that direction. Joe, around this time, most U.S. multinationals usually repatriate U.S. dollar proceeds to close off their books for the financial year. Would this partially explain why the U.S. dollar index has been on the rise since the end of November? Could help explain some of it. Um, you know, earnings was very robust for a lot of multinationals third quarter, really for the first uh, three quarters of this year. They're going to bring some money home, but a lot of multinationals just leave the money overseas because they use that to reinvest locally. So I think other what's other pushing the dollar higher could be just the geopolitical risk in the Middle East, you know, Taiwan, China, U.S. tensions, of course, war in Ukraine, and the fact that the U.S. economy is just outperforming the rest of the world. So we're still seeing good capital inflows into the U.S., the real economy, and the stock market. So it's not just the FOMC meeting this week. The ECB is also convening to decide on what to do with their monetary policy. While rates are expected to remain unchanged due to moderating inflationary pressures, do you think the ECB is ready to signal cuts in their overnight rate anytime soon? How would you compare their trajectory with that of the Fed? Well, I mean, the ECB has a much tougher job because you, you, you have to deal with different countries and different cycles. The Fed has to look at one economy, just the U.S., and figure that out, which is not easy. So, you know, you've got Germany in recession. You've got other parts of Europe expanding. So I think the ECB, they're not ready to cut because I do think they've got an inflationary problem still yet to be out there. 
the winter is coming. There's worries about energy supplies. So that's, that's weighing on the ECB as well. So I don't think they're ready to go there just yet. And, you know, we we're, I think you're going to see more weakness out of Europe, principally Germany and maybe percent France and the Netherlands before the Fed gets serious or before the ECB gets serious about cutting rates. Joe, we are having uh, central bank meetings coming up and you mentioned geopolitical risks between China, Taiwan, South China Sea and whatever's going on in the Middle East as well. What I've seen is that gold prices have fallen quite quite sharply. It's, it's around, it used to be around $2,100 just last week. Everyone was bullish on it for the near term. Currently, it's trading at about 1982 an ounce. How do you see all these you know, moving parts influencing gold and would a buying on dip strategy be something you might advocate now? I mean, I like commodities in general, and I think I think the gold pullback was just profit taking. Um, you know, a lot of people have been sitting in gold for a long time, and so they finally had a ch- chance to take some profits. So, but in general, these geopolitical risks do create potential inflationary pressures if the supply of nickel or lithium or copper or any other commodity is cut off or you know, restricted. We've seen China go down this path a little bit. Uh, Mexico lithium deposits are controlled by the state. So, you know, the inflationary, you know, genie has not been put in the bottle just yet because the commodities is a big play. And these geopolitical risks, that's, that's where the risk lies. You know, the Fed is happy that the supply chain constraints are getting better. Um, I wish they hadn't said it out loud because now they'll probably flip and reverse themselves. So <laughs> geopolitical risks, natural resource protectionism, higher inflation, uh, that's a combination we've got to watch very carefully. Speaking of inflation, Chinese CPI and PPI data for November show persistent deflationary pressures in their country's economy. Despite large fiscal and monetary stimulus from the government and PBOC, what's keeping the Chinese economy from expanding? Well, I think the deflationary, you know, buildup in China reflects a lot of supply, but the demand isn't there. The Chinese consumers still hunkering down. They're, you know, they're just coming out of the pandemic. They're still you know, looking at, you know, whole, you know, in the United States, we spent our savings and then some pulled out the credit card. Where the Chinese consumer, I think, is just inherently more cautious in and terms around their job security. Um, they've got problems in the property market. Everyone knows that. So they're not as freewheeling and freewheeling as, say, the United States, the U.S. consumer to spend. And I think that's, that's what's you know, holding back the economy. So there's a lot of supply, not enough demand. And China wants to export. And I, I think a lot of other countries are saying, you know, no, uh, no thank you to more solar panels, electrical vehicles, and on down the line. Joe, um, going back to commodities, which you were looking at, uh, I, I was just curious because uh, oil is right now is, is at a six-month low and it's been on its longest losing streak since since 2018. Um, how much lower can it can it go? I mean, it might be good news for you guys because it's cheaper petrol, cheaper gas for you, right? It is cheaper, and, and part and parcel of the the oil story is the fact that the U.S. now is producing over 13 million barrels a day. We we breached that in September, late in, in October. So the U.S. is the largest oil producer in the world, and we're ramping up production. That's increasing the supply. Demand is weakened a little bit here. China hasn't been as strong as expected. Europe's in recession. The U.S. is okay, but decelerating. I mean, our growth went from five percent down to say one percent. So. There, I think it's well-balanced, the oil markets right now, but the big variable is how much production has increased in the United States, and it's quite remarkable. 
Joe, you've always been bullish on energy stocks, but there is the UN Climate Change Conference taking place at the moment. Is there anything that you're watching from COP28 that could change the calculations for energy stocks moving forward? I mean, it's a good question, and we're watching it very carefully to see what concretely comes out of there in terms of decarbonization, you know, who's going to pay for it, how the emerging markets are going to be uh, impacted. But, you know, to me, and I think it's general consensus, it's, it, it, we, need, we need both renewables and traditional fossil fuel producers to, you know, t- tackle climate change. There's no doubt about that. We need both parties at work. And I do think there's going to be more money spent on renewables, but... You know, we we have we know how to do this, but I think energy companies are part of the solution. I think that's what the markets are embracing. Energy companies also have a lot of free cash flow; they're giving it back in dividends, and that always entices investors to come back into the market. So, mm. it's a fossil fuel-driven global economy. We're moving t- towards a green transition, and th- these big companies will help make that happen over time. While we're looking at central banks, might as well get your thoughts on the BOJ, Bank of Japan. Do you see the bank reversing negative interest rates before the end of the year? I don't think before the end of the year, but I think they want to reverse that in 2024. And so, you know, the yen could be could get a bid here. Um, I'm not worried about the Japanese not buying U.S. Treasuries. They still yield a lot higher higher yield than, say, even with a backup in rates in Japan. So I'm not, you know, the, the central banks, I think, globally feel good about the r- direction of inflation. They're expecting growth to rebound in 2024. So they're happy to call it a year and just go out on holiday early. <laughs> Joe, thanks very much for speaking with us. That was Joe Quinlan, Chief Market Strategist with the U.S. Trust Bank of America Private Wealth Management, giving us his take on some of the trends that uh, he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead. We still have one more call with him before uh, the Christmas break. So He's we'll already see... talking about holidays. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we'll see if anything changes in terms of this very feel-good uh, Christmas rally that we seem to be seeing across markets, Uh, but lots of things to watch this week in terms of central bank action. All right, let's take a look at some of the uh, international corporate news that has crossed our table. I think we can get a quick look at Oracle results. Uh, Oracle reported slowing quarterly sales growth in its cloud computing business. uh, And this is fueling investor fears that the software makers' expansion efforts have yet to gain ground in the competitive market. Net income increased 44% to $2.5 billion from $1.74 billion a year ago, while fiscal second quarter sales increased 5% to $13 billion. And this is what analysts had estimated on average. The cloud revenue rose 25% to $4.8 billion in the period ended November 30th after a 30% gain in the previous quarter. And this was the second consecutive quarter of slowing growth. $1.6 billion came from renting out computer power and storage over the internet, while $3.2 billion came from applications. Uh, they remain quite bullish on the business and that demand is increasing at an, at an astronomical rate is what they say. They will continue to spend to expand their cloud infrastructure, including building 100 new cloud data centres. Uh, for Oracle Corp's shares, it was last traded at $115.13 and that's up, um, that's, that's up actually 37.5% year to date. All right. Well, it's 7.19 in the morning. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back to look at the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.